Welcome to Let's Get Two, the baseball podcast from the fans' perspective. Now here's your host, James Christopher. And as we open the show, you know, it's with a bit of a heavy heart. Minor League Baseball is one of those things that's really, really different in each city that it exists in, but feels like a large whole organism. And and that organism was affected a few days ago with the the mass shootings in both Dayton and in El Paso. And it's interesting because, like I said, there, there's not there's not going to be a whole lot about this, the game day environment between the Dayton Dragons and the El Paso Chihuahuas. Triple A teams to very different parts of the country. Except that now they're going to play games under the shadow of their community being ripped apart by gun violence. Now, I'm not going to turn this into a political show, and maybe that's a cop out. You know, we have a large enough listener base that maybe I should get up and talk about the nuance about what I think should happen with gun ownership and how frustrating it is because. In some areas, I'm a pretty liberal guy, but I am not for banning guns. But in other areas, I'm also a military veteran, but I'm also thinking that smart smart restrictions of guns make sense. I'm not going to go into all of that. And some who think I should would say I'm would accuse me of wanting to, to being afraid of losing listeners. And that you know, take me at my word, that's not it. I think that none of the the answers to this problem are super super easy. And so all I can do in whatever humble way I have with the listeners that we have is provide a bit of a break from that and maybe a bit of a, a bit of separation, but it, it did, it hit my wife and I really, really hard in, in part because, you know, we're Texans and we love El Paso and to see that community and that person targeting a race the way he did really, really shook us. And we have great friends in Ohio and we've had the dragons on our show. And so um, it really, again, it affected us and, and it, and I don't know how to fix it. And again, maybe it's a cop out. People would say it's a cop out by not like trying to get all political and using my, whatever platform this show provides me to change that. But I, I just want to say that, you know, to those communities, we love them and I, I wish we could fix it. And I just hope that they know that people support them as they try to like put things back together. You know, that being said, we do have a great show today. We have a big show. Uh, one, we're going to be visited by the Omaha Storm Chasers a little bit later on. And uh, it was an, a, an interview recorded weeks ago, but they're coming on now because um, in about a month from the airing of this episode, the Austin Revolution Film Festival is going to launch, and I'm the head programmer, owner, designer, uh, stressed out guy by the film festival. And we're going to be playing a film called 50 Summers, and we're going to hear from that director, but it features the Omaha Storm Chasers, and it's a beautifully done documentary about the history of baseball 
through the prism of the Omaha Storm Chasers. And so we're excited to have them on the show. But I do want to talk a little bit about my grandson, Braxton, and my daughter, Jordan, because in the backdrop of the tragedies in Dayton and El Paso, they were here. And uh, for those of you who don't know, they live in Oregon. We don't get to see them as much as we would like. Name a father or a grandparent who does get to see their child as much as they'd like. And they could always probably always say they could stand for another minute. And I'm going to have Jordan on the show eventually. But Jordan played softball at a really high level in high school until she got injured. And it was absolutely one of the coolest things to watch baseball with her holding her son. It moved me in a way. And, and it was the kind of thing like I didn't want her to notice. I noticed. And, and I think my wife, Jessica, would say the same thing. But just out of the corner of my eye, I could see her like a really, really into the game and talking about like like things she was going to she was playing and how she might have, you know, pitched a guy and, and, and all that stuff. But also to, to have her son there and with two very different experiences. So we head out to the Round Rock Express and, you know, uh, the minor league baseball is perfect for kids. And we've talked about this before, but seeing that kid running all over the berm and just not even realizing how hot it was, you know, cause you're a kid and you don't know that it's hot. You're just out there having a good time. And, and it, it was just a blast. And my wife took a photo of the two of us with Braxton in her lap on the berm. And it's something I treasure. And it was just, um, just a great experience to be out there with her. She's uh, a great mom and her son's going to be a, he, I don't know if he'll be a good ball player. You don't want to put that pressure on him on an 18 month old, but uh, you know, he's at least going to grow up loving the game. And um, we've already picked out some of the teams we're going to go see when we go up to Oregon in the summer. So that, that was so much fun. And it kind of came full circle when we took him to the Astros game just a few days later. And we ended up being there on the induction of the hall of fame. And you know, it's weird because growing up as an Astros fan, you're only kind of tacitly aware. It's it's this weird dynamic of you think your team is the best that's ever played. And yet you don't – yet you don't necessarily think other people from outside the city of Houston necessarily think that. So – it was cool to see this assembly of talent on the field, particularly after coming back from St. Louis and seeing a Hall of Fame from a team that's twice as old as the Astros, you know, and you think that's baseball history. And I got a little down on myself because we don't have a building. We just have a hallway in Minute Maid Park. But it was super cool to see, you know, the players that when I was a kid, like Jose Cruz and, and y'all Minute Maid Park went nuts with the Jose Cruz, that whole, that whole deal. It was great. And to see like on the field, you know, Nolan Ryan and Mike Scott together again, but then also to see Jeff Bagwell and Craig Biggio again, and then to see you know, Joe Morgan and the toy cannon, Jimmy Wynn. And, and so now we're getting into Astros that I don't even remember playing, but my dad told me about playing. And I'm watching it with my daughter and my grandson. It was that field of dreams, family moment united with my grandfather, Poppy, who took me for the first time and taught me the game. 
And now I'm, I'm at the game and I'm not necessarily teaching my grandson the game because my daughter can do that. Like she knows the game as well as, as anybody because having played a variation, but I don't know, it, it felt, it felt really, really powerful and magical. And the thing that I think lets baseball stand out more than, than at least in my opinion, any other sport, and at least in my experience, any other sport, because I've never had that experience with football. And I've never had that experience with, well, I'm not a basketball fan. So being at the park and my wife and I having the privilege of watching my daughter Jordan and Braxton interact through this prism of baseball was a beautiful thing. And it, it just, you know, it, it was something that I was very cognizant of when the shootings happened because, you know, those are experiences that now parents aren't going to have with children. And there are experiences that I don't know if they could have been prevented. I don't, I'm not smart enough. And unlike most people on the internet, I'm not going to pretend to be smart enough to know. I have opinions, but you know, just want to bring it back to the Dayton and El Paso communities. You know, Dayton just tweeted out they held a Dayton strong ceremony for the victims of everyone who who died. And they had first responders out there and they had the team. And it's just, you know, you wish in this baseball community you could wrap your arms around everybody and make the pain go away. And, you know, you can't. And my hope as as these communities start to heal, as we get away from the the macro problem that we have to deal with of violence and in in some degree access and and mental health and and not having the ability to, to handle any of it, my hope is that these communities will will find a way to start to heal, find resolve and purpose from what happened. And my hope is that they're going to find baseball as a way to do that. To the first 10,000 fans, the Let's Get To Promotion of the Week. And as we enter the promo section, we are going to mostly focus on the Texas League. But I do want to talk a little bit about the Jacksonville Jumbo Strip. Now, if you haven't read about their Two for Tuesday special that they had last week, it is honestly one of those amazing things that minor league baseball does that I think really points out how important it is to community and why so many people that love minor league baseball the way that they do love it so much. And I'm not going to be able to do justice to fully what happened, but you should really go read Benjamin Hill's article on MILB.com. But the long and the short of it was that a young fan, Joshua Ribeiro, nicknamed Junior, and his dad, Joshua Ribeiro Sr., got to be guests of the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp. And for the first five innings, they were the only two there. They're two for Tuesday. They got to do all the promotions, all the games. They got the full t-shirt toss while the stands were empty. Junior himself scored like six foul balls and some broken bats and lineup cards and things like that. And they just got to enjoy the park as father and son, why this young man battles his cancer. And again, you know, I talked in the open a little bit about the the tragedies in Dayton and the tragedies in El Paso, both prominent minor league cities, there's healing that can happen at a ball game. And is going to this ball game going to have some scientific impact 
on Josh's cancer? No. I mean, it's not going to. But is it going to, for at least nine innings, maybe not let him think about it for a while? Well, then it will. And is it going to give him and his dad a memory they're going to hold on to for the rest of their lives? Yes, it will. And that is really, really invaluable. Things like keeping morale up and keeping strength of spirit up are going to help him fight that cancer. And so I, I can't just say enough how cool it was for the Jumbo Shrimp to do that. And I really think you should hop over to MILB.com and check out Benjamin Hill's article. He did a, a great job covering the, the event. But again, you know, Josh uh, Jr., we wish you the best. And, you know, you seem like just from what I've read and to the picture I've seen, a strong kid. And I think that you're going to give this thing the fight of its life. And so we really, really wish you the best of luck. But as we turn to the Texas League and we start talking about what they're going to do for their promotion starting this Friday going on through next Monday, we're going to start with the Northwest Arkansas Naturals, who are actually going to be playing as the Growlin' Chickens. For two games in 2019, the Northwest Arkansas Naturals will become the Northwest Arkansas Growlin' Chickens. The transformation will take place at Arvis Ballpark on Friday the 9th and 10th of August when the Growlin' Chickens take on the Tulsa Drillers. You know from listening to this show that I have a great love. Anytime you can do a cool rebrand, I will look into what those jerseys look like. But what's also cool is they're going to have the Bullpen Craft Beer Bar Happy Hour. That's easy to say. So you'll enjoy half-price specials on over 120 alcoholic beverages from 4.30 to 5.30 at the Bullpen Craft Beer Bar. The Bullpen Craft Beer Bar. Say that six times real fast. Now over there in Springfield... The Springfield Cardinals are going to have a special promotion for Lou Brock. They're going to have a Lou Brock bobblehead night. No, but this one's cool because Lou Brock is the bat that Jessica held when we went to the St. Louis Cardinals Museum. So kind of cool that it's a giveaway. I'm going to see if I can't hunt one down for her. Now, the Midland Rockhounds are going to play the Corpus Christi Hooks on August 9th, and they're going to have a Copa Night Sugar Sugar Skull bobblehead. On Saturday, August 10th, the Frisco Rough Riders, and those of you who don't know, uh, Frisco is really a suburb of Dallas, and so it's all in that big Metroplex area, and they are going to have Dallas Stars Night. So the Riders are celebrating the upcoming Dallas Stars hockey season, and the first 1,500 fans will receive a special Riders-themed Stars jersey. And the Amarillo Sod Poodles on August 12th will have Hometown Hero Mondays. The Sod Poodles would like to thank and recognize all military and first responders by offering 50% discount off tickets at the box office every Monday home game. And so listen, the point of this is, you know, baseball season, particularly minor league season, is coming to an end. Most teams have 14 to 15 home games left. And I know that school's starting and it's hot, but... Take a second, get out and find out what this is all about. Because if you're like me and you go to at least one of these games, you're going to be in this emotional state that I'm in where I'm doing nothing right now but dreading, dreading the end of the baseball season because I don't know when I'm going to get back to another park. I mean, I do know, but it'll be like four months. So check out your local team's website. They should have all the promotions easy to find and get out and see some baseball. And now the big league chew. And I on the majors. And we are back for our Let's Get To segment. And we are joined by one of our favorite guests. These, the head coach of the Vacaville High School baseball team, Mr. Stu Clary. Stu, how's it going? Great, James. How are you? Well, good. Um, 
Let's talk a little bit of uh, a little bit of Major League Baseball trade deadline and playoffs and and kind of looking back at some of the predictions that we made at the beginning of the year. And I know for me, for one, I've got one that I really want to take back. So um, first of all, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about the trade deadline. Anything happened that kind of just shocked you or was it the lack well, of moves? You know, well, certainly what the Astros did getting cranky. I thought after the one o'clock deadline, but obviously that um, was the biggest move and the biggest headline maker. Um, I think the lack of trades was a little surprising, although from what I understand, there were a record number of trades, but it just seemed like it didn't move the needle until the Astros did what they did. Yeah, there was – yeah, I mean, it was weird. I, I felt really dialed into it and was watching it from the perspective of, you know, obviously I was watching to see what the Astros were going to do, but also to see, you know, what was Oakland going to do? What was New York going to do? And the fact that New York did nothing, I think maybe was actually even big, even more shocking than because on, on our last week's episode, we kind of predicted the Granky trade. I did. Um, the The lack of Yankee moves was what shocked me the most. Especially with their pitching problems, I thought that they would upgrade. And if we, I think if we went back, or if we go back to our uh, predictions at the start of the year, I thought that the Yankees would be able to buy their way into a pennant, and they didn't do that. They didn't make any big moves. They must really have some guys they really like in the minors uh, because they weren't getting rid of them. I like what the A's did. And for those of you that don't know, because I know we're out here on the West coast, we picked up two starting pitchers and a uh, significant left-handed reliever. I I like that. Didn't mortgage the farm. Our best prospects, our three best prospects are two left-handed pitchers and a catcher. And we did not lose any of those. And I think that was significant. I think the other thing that was surprising was that San Francisco, what San Francisco did to me, they were very indecisive. Are we buyers? Are we sellers? I really think they missed the boat by being sentimental and hanging on to Bumgarner. I I did too. And I think, you know, I think they were sentimental for Bruce Bochy and I guess I get it, but also I think they got a little too blinded by, you know, what they'd done the last three weeks, which is impressive. But I don't think you sell the farm to make a wild card game. I, I really don't think you should. And, but for me, like if you, or, or I guess in this case, keep the farm because Bumgarner would have gotten you pieces for the future. I think they would have gotten a significant return on Bumgarner, even though he's not the same Madison Bumgarner that he was a couple of years ago. But I, at this point, what's going to happen? It's very interesting what's going to happen with Bumgarner. I, I can't wait to see what the offseason brings because is he now going to be looked at as the same as uh, Dallas Keuchel and, and Kimbrell and possibly be out of a job until May? It's, it's certainly um, a possibility that that happens to him. The other thing that could happen is that he resigns with the Giants and then they're hamstrung with another terrible contract. That's what I hope happens because <laughs> I hate the Giants. Or, yeah, you know, maybe he gives them a home down discount, but I don't think the union really lets you do that. You know, there's a reason why I, you're in I, the union. I, 
I, I believe that there's a small window of opportunity there and he's going to, he's going to command some money. And I don't think he's into too many hometown discounts. He maybe he's going to end up with the Braves because that would be his hometown team, right? He's from North Carolina. And they have a habit of taking flyers on pitchers that don't, that nobody else wanted it at one point. No, but it is interesting, you know, and I wanted to ask you about this and we had it. We talked about this a little bit on the segment um, right before yours, you know, Dallas Keuchel uh, was interviewed for the Houston Chronicle and had some pretty harsh words to say about the Astros not giving him what he called, quote, his fair market value. Now, I would argue he doesn't understand how a free market works, that he got the value. Um, but w- w- what do you, you know, in, in with Bumgarner going to now being in a, a more crowded free agent class, like what are your thoughts just on how that free agent class is going to go as we kind of look out? You know, I know we're way, way far away from it. Sure. Well, again, he, he's going to, he's going to, he won't be uh, in debtor's prison or in, you know, <laughs> applying for food stamps anytime soon. He's going to get paid. Uh, but I'm really interested to see how exactly it's all going to pan out. I, there's no, if I make a prediction, I'll guarantee you it's going to be wrong. Unless it's my, you know, preseason baseball prediction. Right, of course. (laughs) But Bumgarner's an interesting case. There's only a few teams that are going to be able to afford him, right? Yeah, and 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 some of those teams that can, you would think they would have gotten him at the trade deadline. If, if, you know, like the Yankees can, but... Dude, they don't even. I don't know. I don't know that the Yankees do that anymore. Like the old school. Like there was a Yankee fan I was fighting with on Twitter who accused the Astros of buying a championship. I mean, of all the, of all the. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Pot, Mr. Yeah. Kettle calling. Um, and my kind of my final question about the trade deadline until we get to back to the predictions. Um, Trevor Bauer, I think, was the move that maybe shocked people more than anything. Uh, how much of that you think was the Indians trying to up 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 their offense, and how much of that had to do with his attempt to try out to be on the U.S. shot put team? I think that he embarrassed his team and his manager by throwing the ball over the fence, and I don't think that enamored him with anyone. But I also don't think that they're making rash decisions based on an isolated. With him, it's not really isolated, but they're not making their decision based on that. Is what I think. Um, interesting. The Indians are another interesting case. I mean, they could go in the tank. They were, I believe, my preseason pick for the Central, and uh, well, they're hanging right in there in the wild card for sure, of course. But what are they doing? Are they? Did they improve themselves, or did they not improve themselves? I don't really know. It does seem like, to, I guess, to your point, if you're going to trade somebody because you think he is a a clubhouse pariah, which, you know, then I don't think you trade for Puig. Then I don't think. <laughs> Although I'll tell you what, Puig could play on my team anytime. I love Puig. <laughs> and, and he's a knucklehead. I'm thinking, oh, man, I, I need a couple of those guys to bring that fire. And you know who we got? We have a guy and he's not trying to fight everybody or, I mean, but, you know, we got a guy that's a little fiery in Oakland, and his name is Canna. I like the way he flips his bat, and he, uh, every once in a while, will pound his chest a little bit. And uh, you need one of those guys. You can't have 
don't think you can have a full team of those guys, but I think you need one or two of those guys. Yeah, you need a guy that's going to go one pick. Named Redick. Yeah, we we've got Redick, and I think you could also say we've that Bregman serves that for us as well. You need a guy that's going to go out there and pick a fight and. I think uh, Guriel's got a little bit of that in him too. Only when he's being racist. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's funny because my wife loves it when Verlander does his thing where he'll he'll strike a guy out and start walking to the dugout before the umpire even calls the strike. And yeah, that's good stuff. My wife's like, oh, that's sexy. And I was like, I don't think you're supposed to say that to me. But anyway, uh, my marriage, <laughs> this is not a therapy session. So I'm looking right. at our I'm looking at our predictions and you know, I, first of all, I'm going to take a lot of credit because of the six people we had on to pick, I am the only one who picked the Twins to win the AL Central. Great pick right there. Um, but I want to I want to take my Cardinals pick back even more than I want to take my Nationals <laughs> pick back. And I know that the Cardinals are closer to the fight than the Nationals are. But, you know, it's funny because I went to that game with the Astros at the Cardinals and my buddy, you know, Scott, who I love to death and is obviously one of the main guys behind the show, but he just kept trying to tell me that the NL Central was just a tougher division. I was like, bro, I don't I don't think that it is. Like Oakland would be at three games up on this division if they were in it. And y'all knocked them around. It, I have I just feel like if the A's were in any other division, they'd be winning the division, including the American League East. I think that the Yankees and and the Red Sox, I feel like their their records are artificially pumped up because they're in such an awful division. Maybe I'm wrong. Of course, the A's, they got swept in the season series by the Blue Jays. So maybe I'm wrong there. I've been <laughs> wrong before. <laughs> no, I, I tend to agree, actually. I think, I think the AL West is under the radar tougher than people think because of how quickly that the Mariners – just collapsed under a really false right. beginning. Nobody believed that when it started. Right, right. That's two years in a row now for them. Right, exactly. And I think, you know, I, I think that people sleep on it because the Astros' lead is so big and think it's the same as the Yankees' lead in the East. But when you get to play Baltimore 19 times, there is no actual Baltimore <laughs> in the AL West. <laughs> there's no Baltimore. And, I mean, honestly, there's no Toronto. Right. I mean, so yeah it's 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 always uh interesting and fun roller coaster ride every baseball season so are any of your picks are you standing with them all i mean you you yours look pretty solid actually outside mine, of the mine were okay i actually went back and listened to them um you know i picked cleveland in the central and i overlooked the twins and what i overlooked at the time I mean, who knew that they were were going to set a record for home runs in the season by a team? But, you know, what was overlooked is their pitching is pretty solid. So that's a good pick that you made right there. I can't remember who I took in the NL Central, but I know that my West and – you have the He's Cubs in the center. Yeah, you have the, the Cubs. Cubs. In so the they're, in the, they're in the thick of it. They're in the thick of it. But I will stand by my World Series prediction. <laughs> I do have the Athletics beating the Dodgers. A's coming from the wild card. And, uh, you know, Bob Melvin's green and gold Warriors triumphantly gallop through the playoffs. I definitely see that happening. There's no question. In fact, I might just take a ride up to Lake Tahoe later and play some wagers in Nevada. Hey, you know what? You go for it. Y'all, this has been <laughs> Stu Clary on our show. He is our own wild card. Uh, <laughs> Stu, thanks a lot. And when, I know that you're also in the education profession. And we, when, when do you have to report back? You know, we're. Uh, I'm actually on campus right this second. I'm standing in the baseball office 
watching some construction happen on the baseball field. We, um, our first day of school is next Thursday. Well, so, good gross. luck. <laughs> good luck. And I guess you guys have winter practice coming up for the ball team. Yeah, we play fall baseball, then we get in the weight room, and then then we get after it in the spring. But our baseball season for us is basically the whole school year. Um, but that's what they like to do, and so we get after it. Um, James, uh, I, I know your summer's coming to a close, too. Uh, looking uh, forward to a great school year, and I know you are, too. Thanks a lot, brother. We'll talk to you soon, okay? Yes, we, it's been my pleasure. Thank you. Go, go Astros, a focus on H-Town Hardball. And so we are back with our Go, go Astros segment. And it's a Tuesday morning. And tonight, that old stalwart of the Astros rotation, Zach Greinke. What? Zach Greinke? Andy Tom Chesson, why is Zach Greinke a member of the Houston Astros tonight? Because you and I are very, very smart. Um, if you listen to the 25th episode of this podcast, we mentioned that if – the Arizona Diamondbacks were willing to part with, say, 20, 20 to $24 million that Zach Grinke could be back in play. And lo and behold, uh, 30 minutes before the trade deadline last Wednesday, he became a member of the Astros. So what do you um, – I, I do want to talk about heavy trade deadline stuff because, you know, when you and I were messaging throughout the day and before we got to this last hour and it looked like nothing was really going to happen, we both felt like the Astros had won – because the Astros necessarily didn't improve, but the Yankees didn't either. And the Astros, I think, felt better about where they were than the Yankees do as far as knees and stuff. So then they get these two guys from from Toronto that just felt like almost like a chance to get Derek Fisher some playing time. So let's talk about Biagini and Sanchez. Well, I mean, that's a, a remarkable get. Um, even if you consider those two guys lottery tickets – for Derek Fisher, who was um, a nice player, but for all the world blocked in the Houston system for at least the next two seasons and wasn't going to pass up Kyle Tucker, isn't going to pass up um, Jordan Alvarez. So, you know, you got something for him and you got more than something. You've got, you've got a reliever who's got some pretty good upside in Joe Biagini um, as well as Aaron Sanchez. And Aaron Sanchez, if you can base it on one start, looks like the next in a fairly long line of, uh, reclamation projects that Brent Strom, A.J. Hinch, and um, the front office have put together for the Astros, uh, probably the most famous of which would be Charlie Morton, who was on the verge of retirement before signing with the Astros and is now a Cy Young contender uh, based on the coaching and some of the development they gave him even later in his career. Aaron Sanchez is absolutely a guy who has plus-plus stuff, um, but for whatever reason – the Blue Jays wanted him to keep throwing his worst pitch 33 to 35% of the time. And I think the very first thing um, Sanchez was told when he put on an Astros uniform was, you're not throwing that sinker anymore. It's horrible. Stop doing it. <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about Biagini. Is that how you say it, first of all? Is it Biagini? Yeah, Biagini. Um, I don't know how much of his press conferences you got a chance to watch, but this dude has some personality. Yeah, he's um, somebody who's going to be a fun quote. Um, Very, very dry, very, very deadpan, kind of speaks to a heart of a lot of things I personally find funny. So, um, you know, anybody who's asking for therapy puppies as his opening line (laughs) in a press conference, um, 
he's 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 a good good clubhouse guy, you would think, and um, I think he's going to fit in well with um, not only the bullpen but the twenty five man roster as a whole. Yeah, actually, the the quote that got me from the press conference was we had an awkward hello in the shower, and and I I went for the fist bump, he went for the handshake, and just you know not something you would expect, and it was funny because I saw. Um, there was like a big discussion on Twitter about how that personality would really wear out the rest of the ball club. But I, I kind of think through a long 162 game season, someone that's generally, cause he's, he, he wasn't just over the top funny or, or, or dry humor, like you were saying, but also seems to be a pretty appreciative of where he is. Like he seemed to be a genuine guy. And I got to think that that actually would be pretty refreshing for, for the, for the ball club. Well, I think in the world that we live in, in uh, Major League Baseball in 2019, where everything is so analytics-driven, so sabermetrics-driven, um, there's still something to be said for team chemistry. And that's, you know, it manifests itself with the Astros and the Astros after dark and the clubhouse music after wins. Um, they're a group that gets along well. And I think when you have a group that gets along well and sets the tone – uh, for everybody on that roster, you have some room to let in guys that are a little bit different and look at things a little bit differently and, and have them fit in. And, and I think, you know, everybody loves a uh, clubhouse comedian when you're winning, especially. Uh, you remember probably Larry Anderson from our youth and Charlie Kerfeld who right. used to walk around in Conehead's masks. I'm sure if they did that every day of five seasons in a row, it would get pretty old. But, um, you know, I think Biagini's got the skills to mix it up. No, absolutely. And um, I do think that he is just, again, like you say, I think a, a, breath, a breath of fresh air. And he also, again, with the with the humility part of it, seems to have, at least he seems to know that it doesn't really work all of the time. And so I have a feeling it won't really wear anyone thin. But, but speaking of a little different, one of the things I didn't really know about Zach Greinke, who obviously was the big haul on the trade deadline, was – Dude's pretty like I think as a diagnosed social anxiety disorder, um, and I was reading a, an excellent article in the Athletic about just how direct he is. And so, how do you think that plays in a clubhouse, or do you think that he they just find a corner for him to like? Does or does the clubhouse kind of become protective of that of his in a, a, a lack of desire to be in the limelight? Um, I, I think his the social anxiety disorder is interesting because if you look at when he's had the opportunity to structure no trade um, provisions in his contracts, uh, the Yankees and the Mets have never been part of who he was going to, um, uh, any team he was going to agree to go to. Uh, he tried to pitch for the Dodgers for a brief amount of time, and, and he's found a lot more success in places like Milwaukee and uh, Arizona and hopefully Houston. Um, it's a little lower key. The media is not on you 24 hours a day. You probably can go to dinner and not get recognized unless you're Jose Altuve or, or Justin Verlander. Um, so, you know, he's got a chance to be a contributing part. You know, I don't know where he falls um, with the anxiety. I think starting pitchers are their own breed of weirdness anyway. Um, they're the only player you're not allowed to talk to the day before a start or during a start, and maybe not after the start, maybe not the day after the start. Um, and I think they all have their own little picadillos as far as this is how I want to be treated. And if his, you know, some of the things I've read in the last week about him, about laughing about how he made somebody fall over um, striking out and when's your, what was your best strikeout? Oh, it was you. Um, those things are hilarious to me. Um, and I think, again, when you're winning, you can absorb all kinds of fun things. 
And one of the things too is is we kind of leave the trade deadline and kind of move to some other topics of conversation regarding the Astros. One of the things that I think that maybe has not really been talked about much, but let's say Sanchez works out, and obviously you have Granky here. Um, it, it actually fixes the rotation largely for not just this year, but for the next two, which we can all admit was the biggest concern going into the 2020 season. Yeah, you've got um, Verlander, Grinke, um, a rehabbed uh, Lance McCullers Jr., and uh, Sanchez is your top four, perhaps. Um, I think an effort is going to be made. I don't know how successful it's going to be at this point to re-sign Garrett Cole because he's absolutely going to get $35 million a year over, you know, six, seven years, but I think there's an effort and I don't think the door's closed. It's just a lot harder now with Grinky. but even if you don't sign Cole, there's a chance to re-sign Miley. Um, uh, Whitley in the minor leagues has started to put together um, his head, I guess, for lack of a better term and pitch correctly and pitch well in double A. So he's going to get, be given an opportunity to be on the major league roster next year. I don't think he gets a call up in September. But um, he's somebody who could come up mid-year. And then the Astros are pretty famous for pulling a Wade Miley out of the scrap heap or a Charlie Morton out of the scrap heap and making them a mainstay of the rotation. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me, honestly, if they go after Miley um, again or re-sign him for a couple of years. He's going to be a lot cheaper, certainly, than somebody like Garrett Cole. But, yeah, the starting rotation problems that we were facing a week and a half ago don't really exist next year, barring a bunch of injuries. And again, I think it's why um, I think it was Jason Stark said Jeff Luno is playing chess while everybody's playing checkers. And I think that's another another example of how he is doing a lot of a little a lot of great long term planning. Now, part of that long term plan, and this isn't something we necessarily said we were going to talk about, but it's something I just recently read is was was not signing Dallas Keuchel. And I don't know if you saw Dallas Keuchel's quotes in the Chronicle about how the Astros didn't want to give. Keuchel, his fair market value. And I guess there's nothing to really add to that, except that that's not how the market works, Dallas. And the fact is, is that Miley has been a better pitcher than Dallas has been since halfway through the 2017 season. Yeah, I think the issue with Dallas and with Greg Kimbrell, um, and those were the two big names that didn't get signed and sat out for half a year, was that there's a distinct misunderstanding about how the free market economy works in baseball. The market tells you what you're worth and you can hold out and maybe you quibble over a million here, a million there. And I'm, I, I'm making this sound like monopoly money. Cause for me it is. Um, but you don't get, the, you don't get to command that I'm not getting older and my stats don't say what the stats actually mean. And you can't count other people's regression against me. And I should get X because I think I'm going to get it. And I'm going to pout until I do. And that's basically what Dallas did. And it turns out that he got half of a $20 million one-year um, deal with Atlanta. And he's going to be facing the same situation in about three months without the draft pick um, payment attached to him. Uh, so it, it's interesting. And I think that the CBA negotiations, the collective bargaining agreement um, that are com- that's due soon, I think after the 2021 season, um, I it would surprise me if there's not a work stoppage. I don't want to bring bring your podcast down, but uh, there's a lot of things that the players and the owners are going to have to hash out. Well, and I think they will, and I do think, um, you know, the thing about the thing about Keuchel's, I don't know that next year it's going to work out any better for him because Garrett Cole's going to demand that amount of money, and 
I don't think Keuchel comes anywhere near it. Keuchel probably needs something a little bit north of what Wade Miley got because he did win a Cy Young going on now, you know, three years ago or whatever. But back to something well, a little bit. Go ahead. Sorry, but if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna pull an aging left-hander off the free agent market, I'm probably gonna go after Madison Bumgarner, not Dallas Keuchel. No, I mean there you go. So you just slotted him as the third most desirable um, free agent pitcher without even thinking about who's really going to be a free agent next year. So right uh, to your point. Uh, but you know what? So we decided to have a little bit of fun because. So I got to tell you, um, I made it out to the the Hall of Fame induction weekend. Um, you know, I talk about it a little bit in the opening of the podcast, but sitting there with my grandson watching um, just these these icons of this franchise kind of all together getting into the Hall of Fame. Uh, one of the things that was really cool before I kind of get to my question for you was watching Springer and Altuve kind of stop stretching and watching the induction for part of it and then going up and like getting – Springer got his phone out to get a photo with J.R. Richard. You know, it was kind of cool to see that. So it got me thinking, what members of this this sort of current run of Astros from 17 to now do you think end up in an Astros Hall of Fame? And are there b- any big ones that you think do not? Um, you know, it's so hard to project because if you asked people after the 2017 season, uh, Astros fans would have told you, well, everybody on this roster is going to make the actual Hall of Fame, not just the um, Houston, Houston Astros Hall of Fame. It, with only one year in, it's really hard to understand exactly what the criteria is. I'm still kind of scratching my head over Shane Reynolds' induction. Um, great pitcher for the Astros, but certainly tailed off pretty quickly after we moved into the Minute Maid Park. Um, so just based on what I know now and what I think is going to happen, I, I think you look at somebody, um, certainly Jose Altuve, um, I think Alex Bregman, and I think Justin Verlander from picking three. Um, Verlander will pitch five years or parts of five years with us by the time his current contract runs out or the extension runs out. Uh, Altuve um, certainly was part of the turnaround, part of the lean years, and has a very real statistical shot, again, barring injury, of getting really close, if not surpassing 3,000 hits. And I think he's probably the one guy on the roster other than Justin Verlander who's going to be an actual Hall of Fame candidate, not just a Houston Astros Hall of Fame candidate. Uh, and then Bregman's got a chance. Um, Bregman looks like he wants to be a guy that's on the roster and on a, a Houston Astro for you know his career, or at least most of it. From there, um, I'd say George Springer, but it's a big if about whether or not we're going to try to extend him and he wants to be extended. Um, certainly has the stats, certainly has put in the blood, sweat, and tears. Um, I think the big surprises that I would leave off, Carlos Correa, I, you and I have talked about this, I don't think he is – going to be extended and I think he's certainly going to go play for a different market when his free agent year comes up. A lot can change between now and 2022 when he's a free agent. But um, And then, you know, I, it's too early to call on Jordan. If I'm going to base Alvarez on, what, 40 games, 50 games? Absolutely. Hall of Famer all the way. All the way. Um, <laughs> at some point, the league's probably going to catch up to him and he's going to need to adjust a little bit. But um Right now, I'm pretty comfortable with the three that I picked, and, and I'm pretty comfortable leaving Correa out of there. You know, it's funny, uh, and kind of as we kind of close it out, I was looking down. The, I was looking down the road, and you know, thinking about. I, I bet you, you could see Correa being that almost like a Cleveland Indians move in in because he's because he's a free agent after 2021, right, or after 2022. I think after 2022. I could see him being that deadline deal for all kinds of 
prospects and a little bit of money because I don't think they have any intention of re-signing him. And I honestly don't think that um, Luna would let him walk out of the door, out the door with nothing. Yeah, I, you know, the parallel from football is I'd love him to be the Herschel Walker trade for this franchise where we get all the draft picks in the world for dealing Herschel to Minnesota uh, or Carlos to Minnesota for that matter. I don't care. Um, but, yeah, I see there, there's depth in the minor leagues, and maybe it's not at AAA right now, but uh, there's certainly a case to be made for sliding Bregman into the shortstop role and finding another third baseman or finding another shortstop um, and – you know, leaving the infield other than that alone. I just think that Correa, to this point, and, and again, he could have two healthy years in a row, and I completely changed my mind on this, but he's only played – he's averaged 110 games a year since the um, since his rookie year. Uh, you can't continue to miss 50 games a year and be a cornerstone and get the contract that you're looking for unless you're playing in New York or Los Angeles perhaps. So I guess it, it, we'll see. Certainly a good guy. Don't want him to go away necessarily, but I think he could be more valuable um, in a big deal further down the line than he will be as the everyday shortstop for the Astros. Yeah, I agree, and I think we've talked about this before. But of the core that I that I you know I could definitely want to see Springer extended, and I I do think it'll happen. I think um, Luno is is smart enough to know what that what he means. Um, spiritually for the clubhouse. You talked about taking the analytics out of it, what he means to a clubhouse. I'm not sure there's anybody more important than Springer. Well, yeah, and I mean, certainly the analytics are part of it because he's when he's hitting, the offense works. Um, we're able to withstand Correa being out for 50 games a year. We're able to withstand Altuve um, having a really slow start this year because Springer played like an MVP for the first half of the year until he got hurt. Um, he's also a durability guy, but most of his stuff is more of – uh, I'm trying too hard injuries than I broke my hand washing dishes or uh, cleaning my monster truck or, you know, some of the other things that we've heard over the years. Well, no, I, I think you're right. I think it's a good place to leave it. Uh, real, actually, as we walk out, you want to give an update on your, what do you think now the the ceiling for number of wins is for the Astros, knowing that, that Grinky's in and all of a sudden this is a pretty unhittable five-man rotation. Well, my complete uh, scientific, uh, scientifically um, sourced number is at 104. So just by a hair, we, we break the all-time win record for the Astros. Um, and I've seen the 110 pipe dreams, and I don't know that we can stay interested that long, um, especially if Oakland falls off. If Oakland continues to stay within you know nine games, maybe we – keep the pedal to the metal. Otherwise I see um, Hinch resting a lot of guys at the last part of September, getting ready for the playoffs. Yeah. I think as soon as uh, you sew up the division and, and, and feel like you've sewn up the home field advantage, then you got to take the pedal off. The... And, it, and it's way too early, but I was looking for a magic number calculator last night and didn't find one. So, Oh, I got a, I got a link. I got a link to send you, but uh, <laughs> you know, I'm going to stall why I look it up. There's a Facebook account I follow. But I'll send it to you right now. But right now, as we sit here and as we close out this wonderful episode of the the Astros magic number to clinch the NL West is 42 games. What about the AL West? Did I say NL? Hey, I'm, you did. I'm, see, now I'm stalling for more time. The NL West is 162, but the AL West is 42. Fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic. All right, man. We'll talk to you next week. Go Strohs. Talk to you later. 
from the bleachers, the Let's Get To Game of the Week. And so we're excited to welcome back to Let's Get To one of our very favorite friends of the show. It's the baseball traveler himself. Um, you know, one of the things I was thinking about, Ken, is that the fact that I went back to school for the first time today and there's still a month left of the minor league baseball season, two months left of the MLB season. But it, isn't it sad that it feels like it's getting close to the end? Uh, yeah, I'm looking at looking at a month to get stuff in. So, yeah, I guess you're, you're kind of running the New York Pin League of the summer, but just in reverse. You have the, the short season. You've got to get the stuff in early and, and go back to school. So that yeah. kind of, that's, like, that's sad because this is the best time of year to go. So. It really, yeah, it is, especially if I can get up to the north out of this heat. But um, so before we kind of talk about where you're going to be doing in August, what if, where where in the world have you been? So let's talk about some of the highlights. You know, I think we last talked to you at the beginning of May. So what have we seen between uh, May till now that really stuck out? Yeah, uh, I was looking. I just you know, I had to compile a list because when I talked to you or I got the message earlier, you were coming. I was like, all right, I better figure out where I've been. So um, a couple of places we went to, like in mid May, we went to Syracuse and Rochester. So got another Tim Tebow experience in there. Uh, got to watch. Got to watch him actually get a hit at the game we were at. So yeah, that's kind of where, uh, the way he was going early in the year. Um, uh, then we went to Rochester. Rochester is kind of well, it was kind of cool. I, the the town itself I thought was pretty. You know, it was it was just pretty neat uh, to go to a city that has like a river running through the center of town. How they have like a Niagara Falls like right in the middle of town, not too far from where the ballpark was. So we kind of spent the day there and had a good time. There's also a little village up there. They based the movie It's a Wonderful Life on, which was really cool. So I, we spent more time there than I, you know, I thought we were just going to check in and go through the town, but wound up spending some good time there. And that was cool. a lot of interesting history up there with the canal and everything. So, uh, yeah, Rochester, the game itself, we wound up going into it. We walked into a double header because of uh, the game night before. The Syracuse game we were at went, uh, it was one of those juice ball games. So I think it was like, 15 or 17 15 or something like that it was just it was ridiculous it went like five and a half hours it was over after midnight and they had like a like an hour and a half rain delay in the middle of it so after sitting through that the game in rochester got rained out so we got the got a double header there but that was you know pretty good time i i enjoyed i enjoyed the game in rochester i thought that i liked their field a great deal and uh the people were really for, for the most part were friendly and uh people in syracuse are pretty good uh, then we moved on. We went. To, uh, we came home. Hit a couple around here. We went to Lake County and uh, Altoona. Uh, doubleheader in Altoona. We met Eric the Peanut Guy, uh, who he, he was doing sort of the same thing we do, traveling around the ballparks and stuff. So I had uh, exchanged message with him. We met him in Altoona. Got to show him around our ballpark and everything. So that's going to be one of the ballparks we have to try and get to, as uh, he's up uh, Tri City Dust Devils out in Washington. So that's uh, that's one we're looking forward to getting out that way. But we're going to have to. Uh, it's going to be a long trip. Yeah, no <laughs> Especially kidding. Driving. Yeah. Uh, then we went. We hit the family vacation. So we, we had the, the highlight of the family vacation was you know another another trip to Hartford because we just like going to that ballpark and uh, got to meet their GM and stuff. He come out and talk to us every time we've been there. He's come out to meet us, you know, to our Twitter travels and stuff. So you know that uh, Hartford is you know one of the tops on our list. And uh, one of the ones I was looking forward to is Portland, um, the Portland Sea Dogs. But unfortunately, while we were there. It poured down rain and got it got rained out. So now we have to go back, which takes us to the Labor Day trip. That's going to be one of that. That's going to be the highlight of our Labor Day trip. I, so are you going to be there? Days. Will you be there on the last day of the season? The last. I will be there for that. Well, uh, the last Sunday. Yeah, when they do that Field of Dreams game, because because I heard I heard that on the it's a Let's Get Two podcast. I heard that 
I heard their uh, guy talking about it. Their announcer was talking about it. I think one of the early podcasts. And uh, I, I was like, when I had to exchange a ticket, I'm sitting here with five tickets because I had taken the whole family. And I said, well, give me, you know, two for Saturday, two or three for Sunday. So I have three tickets for the Sunday game. Um, I just matched or so. I, I, I was I was happy to I was like able to get since it, I got to make another trip back up there. It's only ten and a half hours, so you know it's a nice short drive. But uh, yeah, then we came back home. We started we started what was our big trip. That's this was like the July. Well, it's actually June thirtieth. We went to a two city doubleheader. We went to West Virginia Black Bears, and then we went up to uh, the Washington Wild Things, which is an independent league team. And uh, yeah, Matt we had the, we had the we had the Wild Things on the show earlier. This season, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, well, the one thing I thought I was curious about West Virginia, and since last time I was there, they still have the ridiculous bag policy in place that I haven't heard anybody that had anything good to say about. They don't want to, they don't want you taking any bags of any sort in. So uh, nobody, nobody I know likes that policy, but they've added this game. And you know how like West Virginia is the mountain state and uh, they have a hillside over on the first base side and they set up on the hillside like a Plinko game. So during the game, they go over and somebody puts the ball down and it, it hits off of these little, they, they driven in like these, um, they're like three inch, three inch round wooden spikes down in the ground. So it kind of, they have their own hillside Plinko game, which I thought was pretty cool. So somebody, somebody come up with that. They should get a gold star for that idea. Now uh, let's see. Then we went to, uh, then we started, that was the 30th and the fourth, the July 4th, we went to Lexington, Kentucky. We started off by going to see a legends game down there. Uh, don't like talking bad about a lot of places, but uh, that wasn't one of our best games. So we had a we had a kind of a miserable experience at that game, and that that was. I, I don't know if there's anything that could have been done about it. It's just what it, it was. What it was. No, I, I don't um, want you, I don't want you to get into it if you don't want to get into it. But was it a a, a sort of an isolated incident that happened, or a problem with just their whole approach uh, to baseball? Yeah, it was kind of an I don't know if it's isolated thing. It just there was a lot of bugs. Like they said, they just mowed the grass and there was a lot of, it kicked up a lot of bucks. And the problem with when we buy tickets early, we get good seats. So we're sitting down front. All the bugs are kind of flying around. Uh, for have, for having a big crowd, their, their, their vendors were really slow at getting food. So we really didn't get anything to eat there until after the game because the lines were so ridiculously long to get any sort of food items. So we didn't really, the people were nice. It wasn't, it wasn't, I don't think there was anything really could be done about it. It's a July 4th crowd. So you knew it was going to be packed. It's just, their people were moving. Their people were not moving, and this is the middle of the season, so I would I would expect more. But anyhow, from there we went back to we picked up our uh, rain date for uh, going back to Fort Wayne, which was a total opposite end of the spectrum. Fort Wayne was 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 very was very good. Um, the people were nice. You know, the stadium is what it is. It's probably one of the best minor league stadiums, the best A level stadium that we went to. Uh, it's up there. I think Great Lakes and uh, Lansing are both really good too, but. You know, they they have about thirty different seating options at that place. Any type of seat you want, you could probably find it there somewhere. There's picnic tables, there's treetop seats out in right field that are way up high, there's high top chairs, there's you know, there's any variety of seating. So I was sort of impressed by the uh amount of stuff that they had to offer there. Um go back to the so we went we came home for a couple games, went to Mahoning Valley, which is another uh, New York Penn League game, and really picked up the difference between the uh, levels that have the pitch clock and the levels that don't have the pitch clock because uh, New York Penn League games seem to drag on. And it's an early season game. These guys are only playing, you know, the first or second game they're playing together. 
because they all, you know, they kind of came on. So it's sort of like, it's kind of rough. There's a lot of errors early on and, you know, hopefully by, you know, middle of August, they've sort of picked up on it and start playing as a team. But yeah, it was a little bit rough on that one. Um, then we hit the, then we hit the highlights of, of our trips. We uh, picked up, I picked up my buddy in Harrisburg. We went down to Aberdeen, Maryland, down to Cal Ripken stadium. Um, Ironbirds. Uh, yeah, the stadium was very, very nice. Like it was top shelf. It looks, it looks like a mini version of uh, Camden Yards. So it's uh, we got to see uh, one of their top prospects too. Austin Hayes was rehabbing, so he came up in the first inning and just like cranked one out of the yard. It was. Uh, now we've seen him play. We saw him play when he was with Bowie a lot, but you know, I've seen him do a rehab start and he just like turned on a ball and launched it. It was like there was no doubt when he hit it. Oh, let's see. That is, so yeah, Aberdeen was really cool. They, they actually have, there's a hotel in the parking lot. that's kind of like, it looks like the, uh, the thing in Camden Yards. It looks like the uh, warehouse out in right field. It kind of looks like they built that and then decided to turn the stadium. It looks like it would have been in, you know, in right field, but it looks like they turned the stadium to the right about, you know, maybe from like, you know, noon to about three o'clock. So that was kind of, that was kind of interesting. Um, then we went to Potomac. We went back there. That was the that was the last uh, game we went to last year, and we went back there. It just ha- it just happened to fall in the area where we're at, so we went there for like a noon start. Asked the guy, um, "Do you have any you have anything in the shade?" And he says, "No, we don't have any shade," which I kind of sort of knew. He wound up comping us free tickets, so we got <laughs> we got in for free. You, you can't beat that. You can't beat then, a free baseball game. Yeah. <laughs> And, and so it's a noon game and like, uh, was it the 8th of July and you know, they have, they have a camp day. So when camp day means, you know, in comes, in comes all the kids about, you know, the second inning cause the buses get there. They, they try and get there right as the game's starting. So you have all the people coming in about the second inning, you have everybody leaving about the seventh inning. So I have pictures of us sitting in the, in the stands. And I think there's about five other people with us in the stands. <laughs> Uh, Matt wound up getting a foul ball out of that. So yeah, I would imagine out. he got eight. <laughs> yeah, I only got one. He got on the field and got to do another contest there. So he got that was the first of like three on that trip that he got to do on the field. Uh, then from Potomac, that, that we were there for the day game. Then that night we drove to Richmond for the uh, home run hitting contest, um, the Eastern League home run hitting contest, and it was completely different than anything we've we've been to before. They had they had it broken into some sort of teams and. Mm-hmm. It was, I, I didn't, I didn't like for the way it was set up. And a couple of people I talked to didn't care for the way it was set up. What I did think was cool from a standpoint is they had, um, tables and stuff set up around the outfield and they had a big, a big, uh, screen across. So you could, if you had VIP tickets, you could watch the home running in contest from the field. So that, that was kind of neat. I, I like that idea to, to a point. The only problem is it hindered, like you couldn't see where the balls were going necessarily. And they had, uh, one of their, in-game host was up on a, on a man lift right behind the pitcher's mound. And he just consistently talked the whole time. So you're trying, you're just getting nailed with all this noise and volume. And it was just, it was a little bit much. I think if it just did pure home run hitting contest, it would have been, it would have been more interesting, but it was what it was. It was, I, I had a good time. The, the people were, you know, people were nice again. Uh, I, I learned, I learned the difference between, you know, Pittsburgh, the ballparks around here, you go and you get a hot dog and they wrap them in foil and they squeeze the crap out of them where uh, Richmond and Pensacola both got these hot dogs and the, the, the buns were like perfect. And it was like, they handed them to you in a basket. And I'm like, boy, this is, you know, yeah, the they were be. tasty. I couldn't figure out why it was so different. I'm like, I couldn't really put my finger onto it. I, <laughs> I was talking to my buddy. He was like, yeah, you know, 
the buns weren't like soggy and the hot dogs were good. It, it was just completely different experience. Um, so we went back for the all-star game. Then um, we, we got in line, got uh, a baseball bat and a ball signed by the, uh, the entire Western division team. Um, kind of was hoping to get, you know, ideally if it would break down that Matt would go get the East and I could go get the West, it would have been perfect. But we went through uh, when we stood in line, we were able to get our autographs and stuff. So they had that set up pretty well. It, it, it functioned uh, very good. I, I haven't, I can't say anything bad about that. So then when I originally planned this trip, I look at the map and I go, uh, you know, for, it's only, it's only an eight hour drive from Richmond to Jacksonville. So, you know, that can't be that bad. So we, we hopped in the car and we, we stopped and we stopped in Fayetteville. Uh, I got picked up a woodpecker's hat. I'm kicking myself for not getting the red batting practice Jersey. Oh, I had it in my no. hand. Right? I put it back and I'm like, I really want, I love, I love that logo, but um, I even looked online the other day and it's, they don't have them online. So now I'm like, I got to wait till I go back next year. But uh, yeah, Fayetteville, we checked out their stadium. Then we went to Jacksonville and uh, I can't say enough about Jacksonville. Jacksonville, like I think Matt, it's on Matt's list. It's in the top three probably for him. Um, it just, I didn't realize we had, they had, we got good seats that day too. I didn't realize we were in the front row behind home plate. Like I bought the tickets and I just totally forgot all about this stuff. Cause there's so much other things going on, but I looked at the st- tickets and I'm like, Oh, we're P we're PNC. Where is that at? And the guy's like, Oh, you guys are down in that box there. They were kind of like, there's three rows that are separated. I'm like, Oh, we must've did all right. then. <laughs> but, uh, I knew ahead of time that we were, um, uh, Jordan that does the, uh, in-game or they had the in-game ceremony or not in-game host, I guess is what you call it. And, uh, she said, come find her, you know, she'll let Matt do a contest and stuff. So we happened to be sitting in our seats and she kind of, she came out. So we went over and talked to her. Um, she's also friends with the girl that does the Marlins games. That's the in-game host for the Marlins game. She was there as well. So we got the, got a picture with both of them, got to meet both of them. Uh, Matt did his contest in that game. Uh, he wound up winning 10, 10 bucks in, uh, what do they call it? Jumbo shrimp, crustacean cash. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he was, he was happy about that. He went and bought himself some uh, chicken nuggets, which is, or uh, chicken strips, which is all he was, you know, made him happy. Uh, he also picked up one of those, uh, they have a jumbo shrimp cup. I don't know if you've seen those, they have a plastic cup that's kind of shaped like their logo. Yeah, I do. I it's, have. Yeah. It's, it's pretty cool. So yeah, he's got one of them. So then the next day we were then, you know, if it's only eight hours to Jacksonville, it was only five hours to Pensacola. So we drove across the state of Florida. Um, stopped, we stopped at uh, Florida State. And I know not a football game, uh, football thing, but we wound up hooking up with a tour and got to go out on the field at Florida State. So we got pictures of that. Wound up getting to Pensacola. Um, it was kind of rainy. That was, the, that was about the time the hurricane was coming in towards uh, Louisiana. So we were catching the outer bands of rain. So they had actually had one of their, uh, I called it a Chicago Cubs rain delay. They had a, an hour, hour and 15 minute rain delay with no rain. And then, you know, the game started and it kind of drizzled, but uh, Pensacola is going to be high on my list too. That was one of the ones I really, really wanted to go to. I, I think the view is like one of the tops in baseball. Um, and yeah, again, Matt got to do a contest there. I got to do a contest there. I don't ever get to do contests, but I, I did one, uh, well, let's, as we wrap it up, as we wrap it up, tell me about the contest you did. Did you win? I won. I got a bobblehead. Yes, I, we both got bobbleheads. Matt and I both. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I won. It was the trivia contest. Was about what the what team did uh, Cal Ripken Senior play on in Pensacola? 
and it was the Dons. The Pensacola Dons was the name of the team. So and I didn't know that. I know it didn't. Like, if you see the video, it doesn't look like I did. But I'm like, yeah, that's what it was. The guy's telling me, try to get help from the crowd. And the crowd's just sitting there looking at me. Nobody said anything. So anyway. <laughs> that, that sounds amazing. So we're going to have you back on in a couple of weeks and kind of just finish out your season and also look forward to what's coming up next. And, hey, just to let you know, in case you don't know this, there's a perfect excuse. The AAA All-Star Game is in Austin in 2020. Uh, I, I imagine it's the same day as the uh, one in the uh, Eastern League. Yeah, but you go to that one all the I, time. You can come to – Yeah, but that, that one's in Binghamton, and that's Baseball Hall of Fame. That's when Max is going to get to go to the Baseball Hall of Fame. <laughs> He's been asking me about that. I was like, that one works out perfectly. <laughs> that sounds like an even better place to leave it with a broken heart. Hey, Ken, thanks so much for being on Let's Get To, man. Oh, no worries. Thanks for having me. On deck, the Let's Get To interview of the week, brought to you by Fine Line Sportswear. And we are excited to welcome the Let's Get To, the general manager of the Omaha Storm Chasers. They are the AAA affiliate of the Kansas City Royals, Mr. Marty Cordero. Marty, thanks so much for joining Let's Get To. Glad to be here and uh, talk a little baseball. And, you know, it's a, it's a great time of year. You know, the, the season in, in all respects to professional baseball is Still, kind of just getting started as uh, as the college game is wrapping up. It's funny that you point out that it's still getting started because, um, you know, I, I I'm a diehard went grew up in the Astrodome in Houston, diehard Astros fan all my life. They win the World Series. Now there's a bunch of football fans watching baseball that don't get that your team's going to lose 60 games a year no matter what. So it's you got to remind people you got a lot of baseball left to play. You know that happened a few years ago. You know having worked with the Royals for a number of years that now being my 13th year uh, here in Omaha in 2013, 14 and 15, when the Royals started winning and it had been since the mid to late eighties, since they had won, you know, there were a lot of fans. I, I, I watched and listened to them on Twitter uh, in the Kansas city area that were chiefs fans. They were football fans. And you're exactly right. Uh, you know, that, um, uh, mindset of oh my gosh how how dare they lose sixteen to one when you can come back and win the very next two games two to one two to one and it doesn't matter you still took two out of three in the series exactly well let's talk a little bit about you because like you said you're part of you've been with Omaha for thirteen years but how did you get into minor league baseball in the first place and how did you end up being the GM of the Storm Chasers well. Um, you know, it's 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 a long story, but uh, I played baseball growing up. I uh, grew up in North Louisiana. Matter of fact, grew up a Cub fan. Every August when the schedules were still balanced and there were four divisions, the Cubs would play in the Astrodome. Every, the third, I think it was the third weekend in August, we'd always drive down to Houston. Uh, and I love seeing that old scoreboard, dot matrix scoreboard out, no out, of, out of the wall. And uh, so, you know, grew up a huge Cubs fan, played baseball through high school, also started playing music uh, when I was 11, playing drums, playing in bands when I was 13. And the primary band I played in when I went to college at Louisiana Tech, we signed a small independent record deal, dropped out of college for three and a half years, was touring. So I did that for a while. When I went back to school, ultimately ended up in marketing, worked for the baseball program at Louisiana Tech for three years. That was 96, 97, 98. Finished in 98, went to the baseball winter meetings, and they have a number of different events and things associated with the winter meetings that are not trades and free agent signings, but are the business side. And part of that is a huge job fair. And I was fortunate in Nashville in 98 to secure a job with the Cubs double A team. Uh, had nothing to do with my love for the Cubs. 
Uh, but at that time, it was in Jackson, Tennessee, and I started at the bottom selling group tickets in uh, 1999. It was my first year of minor league baseball. Moved from uh, Louisiana with my three-year-old kid, and he and I started a baseball career, and that was the start. Omaha's got an interesting baseball history because the Omaha Storm Chasers, formerly the Royals, have been there for over 50 years. It's also the site of the College World Series. As a graduate of Texas, uh, University of Texas, I know a lot about that. But talk a little bit about the role that the Storm Chasers play in the community in Omaha. You know, you're right. It's it's one that is a long and storied uh, relationship with the Royals and with the, the metro area here. In 1969, when Major League Baseball expanded and Kansas City um, was awarded a baseball team again uh, after they had lost the A's a few years prior, um, the Royals start. They have to put a AAA team somewhere. Rosenblatt Stadium was here because it was actually built in the 40s for professional baseball. At that time, they built it for the Omaha Cardinals. That was before the College World Series. And because of professional baseball, that's the reason why the College World Series is here to start with. So, you know, the relationship between affiliated minor league baseball and the College World Series goes back all the way back to, to when Rosenblatt was built in 47 and 48 and opened in 1949 for professional baseball. And then fast forward to now, 51 years is a long time. It's the longest affiliation of any AAA uh, organization. Only Reading and Lakeland have us beaten by one whole year. 1968 is when their affiliations uh, started with the Phillies and Tigers respectively. And so, you know, we're the longest AAA, we're the third longest out of all 160. And, you know, I, 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 I firmly believe this and when I say it, you know, from a community perspective, there's no one that does it better than we do. And it's not because of Omaha Storm Chasers or Omaha Royals or Omaha Golden Spikes um, over the years. It's simply because of minor league baseball, much like the Round Rock Express, right. um, you know, much like the Frisco Rough Riders, much like the Corpus Christi Club, uh, you know, and in any other club throughout the country for others that are listening. Um, no one does it quite like minor league baseball as it relates to community. We, we care. I think we actually care a little bit more. And we also know that we're selling an experience. Uh, we're not selling the baseball because we don't control the baseball. So I, I think because we understand that and we get it doesn't mean we like it because we are a number of us are still huge baseball fans. Right. But we also know that we're business and community people first, second, and then baseball people third. Well, I think that cultural part, it's, it's actually the whole point of the show. And, you know, getting people out and, and, and the fact that y'all are you're not competing with each other and you're not competing – as far as gates, you're competing against movie theaters, theme parks, things like that. So one of the things that I know about the Storm Chasers is some of the cool, like you basically have a circus going on at Warner Park. Talk a little bit about that game experience. Uh, game experience is, is um, something that's important every day. You know, even if it's a Monday or a Tuesday night when we think there aren't going to be very many people here, there still will be people here for the first time. And whether it's our, our, our wiffle ball field, whether it's our basketball court, you know, whether it's uh, our family fun zone that has that has uh, uh, carousel and inflatables or it's our large wide concourses with drink rails and, you know, craft brews and unique food and different things that we have. You know, we want it to be an experience that all can enjoy, even if you don't like baseball. But if you fall in that 20 to 30 percent that are coming for the baseball, we obviously are at the AAA level where you have, on average, 70, 71% of AAA players ultimately play Major League Baseball. And for us specifically, 
and I don't really have any scientific data to back what I'm about to say, but 76% of our franchise players in history have gone on to play big league baseball. I think a large uh, reason for that is because the Royals are a smaller market club and they're signing fewer free agents than a lot of other organizations. So, I mean, we have 76% of your talent going on to be a major league player. Uh, you know, that's, that's pretty strong. Well, I want to go back to that relationship with the Royals because like you mentioned the Round Rock Express and they just changed back to the Astros. And then some of the other teams that we've spoken to on our show have one or two year agreements. That, that relationship, how much easier is it on you, on you guys to run your season knowing that you've got a partner that probably isn't going anywhere versus trying to figure out what you're supposed to do when you get a new affiliate? Yeah, I don't know how to answer that uh, from the standpoint of trying to figure out what to do with a new one. Um, and I was quoted recently in a Baseball America story that, yes, player development contracts or PDCs, as we refer to them, last two or four years. But in our case, ours has lasted 51 years, meaning you can't sign a lifetime agreement. But in essence, we pretty much have one. You don't want to take that for granted uh, at all. You know, you absolutely want to, um, you know, make sure that, you know, you're doing everything possible, um, you know, to, to do what's right, um, uh, to do what's right and, 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 and to provide the best experience for the coaching staff, uh, players, for them to conf- continue to develop their talents, to reach their pinnacle, which is going on to play Major League Baseball. It's not being an Omaha Storm Chaser. That's a step along the way. But we know and we pull for these players as well. So I don't know how to answer that. I don't know what you know that process would be going forward with a new um, with a new partner. Uh, I've done it once when I when I got my first GM job, moving from Birmingham, Alabama, to Battle Creek, Michigan. The team in Battle Creek had been the Yankees. We affiliated with the Rays, but that was really on the front end of their uh, coming of age to the amazing player development organization that they are uh, considering how small a market they are. And that was on the front end. So, and, and, and I, my head was spinning such that I really don't remember what we did different. So I've never had to go through that. So, you know, I, 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 I don't really know what Chris Almondaris and Tim Jackson and, and some of the others in the industry have had to go through, but um, you know, I know it's, it's, it's been a good move so far for Chris and Tim and, and Reese and my friends down in Round Rock to go to the Astros. Um, you know, I don't know, you know, how the Texas experiment is going in uh, Nashville. If you ask me, which you didn't, Jim, but I will say this anyway, if I'm the Rangers, I would have been falling all over myself to go to San Antonio. I will tell you what, we thought that's what was happening. There, there was a lot of buzz if that was going to happen. And, and, but for one reason and, and excuse me, for two reasons and two reasons only one, San Antonio is a Rangers market for the most part. You'll have to correct me if I'm wrong, but that, that really, that, you know, that that's Texas and it's the Rangers and wouldn't the Rangers look like heroes if they worked hand in hand with the San Antonio market and specifically the franchise and, and the ownership to be able to get a new state of the art AAA facility built And while I can see that when that does happen, because I know they're going to get a facility that the Rangers are going to want to move in there in two or four years, it just would have looked much better in my eyes with the Rangers going into San Antonio to be the hero. 
but they're not. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with this with the Nashville experiment. Yeah, I, th- I do think you're right, though. I think they'll eventually be in San Antonio, and I think it will make the baseball matter more because you'll because the rivalry between the Astros and Rangers has gotten really, really fierce, and that will definitely carry over, I think, to Missions Express. Um, but one of the things I wanted to bring out, like our interview is a little bit of serendipity. So I have been a, a longtime minor league baseball fan. Um, I discovered it was on the film festival circuit when I, I will sneak away to a park whenever and kind of stumbled on the storm chase. I have storm chasers gear and have for years. And then I see you guys tweet about this movie, 50 summers. And again, I run a film festival, run one of the um, most popular film festivals in the con- in the country. And we're going to be the, the Texas premiere for 50 summers in September. So I wanted to talk a little bit about how did your involvement with the movie come about? You know, dating back to December, excuse me, January of 2017, we were already in, in full swing of planning for our 2018 50th season celebration. And I got an email or a phone call from Bill Hipsher. I can't remember exactly what it was, but his company heard that. Uh, we worked with them on the social media side. So it came up on some of the things we were doing and planning, and he was like, hey, you know, Heard at Films is a, is a film company I've acquired within the last, I don't know, year or two years, whatever it, it had been at that time. And I grew up near Rosenblatt. We'd love to talk to you about doing a documentary about your 50th season. And I'm like, okay, Bill, whatever. You know, who, who makes movies about minor league baseball? Very few people. It's a very undertold story. It just is. So, you know, within two weeks, we were talking about a contract for a 50th season film. Uh, and that was, that was the start of it. And they wanted to film from opening day 17 to opening day 18, uh, talking about how minor league baseball operated the day to day rolling of t-shirts, rolling of hot dogs, weather issues, um, and really telling a story of getting ready, you know, and planning and prepping for the 50th season. And over, we did start filming on opening day, 2017. And over that time frame. From then until the beginning of 18, the film took on a number of changes. It really became more of a story of what minor league baseball in an entirety had become. 130 plus new ballparks, more than 100 plus new nicknames since the early 90s. The explosion, you know, values going from Dayton, you know, being in the you know, single million dollar values to recently selling for nearly $50 million for a low A franchise that holds the longest sellout streak in professional sports history in the world. Um, you know, it started to tell that story. It started to tell the story about Brandios and the branding and, 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 and the, and the history behind that. And then it also shifted really away from the 50th season and focused on the 50 seasons, plural, and how the struggles of minor league baseball specifically in the Omaha Metro, as it related to being a secondary tenant in Rosenblatt stadium related to the college world series. And then more modern era, how the two stadiums came about here and how we really have found our own footing. So, you know, it, it, it started in one spot and ended in a different one. And I think it tells a much um, broader story, which obviously appeals to more people nationally versus just, you know, in the metro area here in the region. So I think Dan Napoli did a great job on storytelling. Uh, I think um, the interviews that we worked with them hand in hand on to get them access to 
Warren Buffett, uh, Brandios, George Brett, Pat O'Connor, on and on and on. I, I, I think I think I think the film turned out uh, very nice. It tells a great story, not only about Storm Chasers history, but also about minor league baseball. I actually think once it eventually does get purchased and out there, it'll become people's in people's rotation of regular baseball movies to watch. But you you gave them a lot of access. At any point, did you feel like a reality TV star, like you were just waiting for some kind of Real Housewives moment to happen? A real reality TV star? I don't know about that. You know, <laughs> I just looked at it as I looked at it as part of our. Uh, uh, it's part of who we are and part of what we've done, uh, and what we'll continue to do. I, I in in a nutshell, I'm a minor league baseball guy. So I really looked at this as an opportunity to wave the flag for minor league baseball, not just for um, the Omaha Storm Chasers. And, you know, that's something I do take serious, Jim. Yeah, I think you guys, again, I think the access was really, really great. And uh, I think really did tell that story. So speaking of the Omaha Storm Chasers, what can we look forward to at the park going for the rest of the season? You know, a lot of fun things. Uh, you know, we have our wacky giveaways and promotions. We recently were just named um, the uh, promotion of the month for April um, for minor league baseball. So we're now a finalist for a golden bobblehead. The potholes promotion came out just an April Fool's joke uh, and just just exploded. So if anyone listening, just go to our Twitter account, go to Darren Ravel's Twitter account. You can see kind of where uh, just a very benign um, um, April Fool's joke about potholes, which we had our worst winter in a hundred years here, and they're still working on potholes here in May. So, um, you know, it's uh, a lot of fun things, a lot of fun things happening at the ballpark. Yeah, I thought the potholes thing was amazing. Well, um, Marty, thanks so much. This is like a good place to leave it. Thanks so much for being on Let's Get Two. Yeah, appreciate it. And, uh, you know, if anybody wants to learn more about us, OmahaStormChasers.com. And then specifically for minor league baseball, it's MILB.com. And really appreciate, Jim, what you guys do for baseball and specifically affiliated uh, minor league baseball. Thank you so, so much. Well, yes, sir. And we're going to get all your Twitter links and everything. And all year we'll be tweeting about you guys. We want to make sure that everybody's finding you guys. So thanks so much for being on. Awesome. Sounds good. Thank you. And now on to close it out, the right-hander from Houston, Texas, James Christopher. And as we wrap it up, you know, we got to talk about a couple of things. And before I kind of rank our favorite Texas League brands, which is, you know, kind of how I thought I would end this, uh, this, this show, the uniforms for the players weekend dropped. Now, I love the players weekend. The Players Weekend to me is a step toward the minor league direction of how you kind of promote yourself and sell your team that Major League Baseball's done where they play in, in some more outlandish, generally speaking, uniforms. There are player nicknames on the back, although it's awkward when those players don't have nicknames, but that's neither, higher than, neither here nor there. But I got to be honest, I've always been a little disappointed in the final outcome of the uniform because – you know, as an Astros fan, the Strohs are known for uniforms that are outlandish and crazy. And, and you know, dear Reed Ryan and dear Jeff Luno, you should be wearing a different uniform every night because you have, you have them and they're amazing. But baseball uniforms, not just the Astros, but teams like the Athletics and teams like 
you know, the pirates and old school Padres uniforms, they're known for color and they're known to, to pop. And so when I saw these, the player uniforms that dropped, I just was disappointed. And, and essentially what it is is the home teams are wearing white. And what I mean by white, I mean white on white on white, meaning white ball cap, white jersey shirt, white trousers with white lettering. That's just a little bit off white from the jersey. It's boring. It's um, it's boring. And then the opposing team is wearing black. And again, it's boring. It It's just black on black on black on black. And, you know, maybe it's a thing that I don't get. It, maybe it's a it, kids dig it. Maybe I don't know. That seems to be probably what the prevailing logic is. But I'm just not into it. It, it. it left me a little lukewarm. And it is something that I look forward to every year. And. You know, I hope next year they kind of get back to maybe less a standard look for Players Weekend and instead letting teams make their own design and, and you know, the, the have it reflect on the local community and the local team history a little bit more than, you know, a sort of standard outlay of how the uniforms are going to look. Because the Astros have some great colors and some great uniform tradition, and I would like to see them go in a step in that direction as opposed to an all white or all black situation. It's almost as if the, the team, you know, the major league baseball forgot to put this together until like this morning and saw on their calendar, Oh, it's supposed to drop. And that's what they put together. But that's just me. Maybe me being an old man. Now, speaking of, of, of good branding. So we're going to rank our top Texas league teams and Texas league is the double a division. And you know, generally speaking, we don't rank all 10 teams or we'll pick five. But in the Texas League, it's the smallest of the double-A divisions or the double-A leagues, I should say. There are only eight teams. And so we are going to rank them. And we are going to begin with our last ranking team. And it shouldn't be hard to guess. And it's the Springfield Cardinals. I don't understand why a team continues to use the parent clubs, the parent clubs look, the parent love clubs iconography. I can't imagine they sell more gear than any of the other Texas League teams that have a more more a more reflective of the community identity, I should say. So I, I'm not I'm not about the Springfield Cardinals. I love the look of the St. Louis Cardinals. It's classic, but I want that look in St. Louis. And, you know, and, and it's funny because I'm one guy uh, doing one podcast about minor league baseball and I do, but I travel and I'll go to these games and I, you know, I'm going to be hitting my 30th total baseball stadium of my life next month. I'm a teacher, you guys, and school starts. And so I, I, but I, I have to make a decision on where to go somewhere. If there's something like 250 ballparks and I can only go to go, go to maybe five or six a year and going to see the Springfield Cardinals isn't going to be on my list because I'm not interested in going to see the junior league version of the St. Louis Cardinals. So that's my last one. Now, I want to say for the others, I generally speaking like most of the designs in the Texas League. But coming in at number seven, and I don't mean to be you know, personal or mean, and I know that people are going to yell at me, but it's the Arkansas Naturals. And I don't know what it is about uh, the fact that the logo seems to have a bunch of different looks to it, none of which are really, really appealing to me. And I just think the sort of Naturals name is a little, well, it's a little lame. 
And now it's going to seem like I'm just picking all my friends to the east. But number six, it's the Arkansas Travelers. And again, it's a little bit of a hard iconography for me to wrap around, I guess you could say. But, you know, I like uh, the the possum logo, though. That's something that's pretty cool that you really – you don't – not only do you not see it a lot, you don't see it anywhere. Um, but that comes in at number six. Uh, number five, the Tulsa Drillers. And, you know, what I like about the Drillers, I love the logo. I love that they will kind of borrow a little bit of their look from their parent club, the Dodgers. But it still also feels like the Drillers. And I like that it really borrows onto that oil identity that's so important to, well, most of the region of the Texas League. Number four, the Frisco Rough Riders, and and it, it's it's weird that the Rough Riders works for me, and I'll tell you why. Uh, I'm a Texan, as all of you know. I am a proud Texan. I am a Texan that doesn't think that we need to borrow anything from any other state. So it's interesting that they piggybacked off of Teddy Roosevelt for their um their their iconography, their logo, and stuff. The fact is, is that Teddy Roosevelt's a great president. I am a big fan of him, but he's not a Texan. And it seems like you could have found something else, but it works. And so much about, you know, how in-depth and how how much of a deep dive they do into Teddy Roosevelt for the design of that whole stadium is honestly really, really awesome. Number three, the Midland Rockhounds. And again, you know, it's it's uh we've talked to we've talked to several members of the Rockhounds on the show and we'll continue to follow them. But I love what I love about the Midland Rockhounds is just how um, devoted to their fan base they are and to their look is is really classic. And again, ties into that, again, that oil tradition that I know it's like a dirty word all over the country and I get it. But the fact of the matter is we're Texans and it's a part of our lifeblood, part of our heritage. And I love that they buy into that and they use it so much. Now, number two is the Amarillo Sod Poodles. And I it's weird because I'm going to talk about the thing I don't like, but... I, for the most part, love everything about it. I mean, we drove out to Amarillo to go see them, but they have a great logo and it's the state of Texas with, you know, the sod poodle in the center of it, but it's one of three logos they use and they don't even use it very often. And and so to me, while I understand having a, a breadth of looks, I think for your first year, sell what your team is based on a look that matters and then kind of devolve from there or, or spread it out from there. Now, the number one for us is the Corpus Christi Hooks, and it's almost the example of where I think the Sod Poodles can get because the Hooks, first of all, great, classic look. I can't believe that the team has been around as long as it's been, like 15 years now. That has is utterly shocking to me because I remember when they were born. But they also do a great job of not just alternative looks for their jerseys and things, but alternative identities. Uh, the Blue Ghosts, the Raspas, the Dio de las Hooks. They really embody what that minor league baseball thing is as they extend their brand out and as they really made that brand such an important part of the Coastal Bend. So the fact is, you know, and it's funny because we had Ken on the show and he's not made it really into the Texas League very much. I know he's been to Frisco, but I'm not sure where else. But I think the Texas League really does some of the best from top to bottom in brand design, but also in ballparks. And really is is where I think you should be if you're into minor league baseball and want to come and check it out. That wraps up our show. You got to love, again, got to love some Texas League stuff. And and I wish the players' jerseys were better. I don't mean to, to kind of 
be negative about it, but you know, it's just, just as I was preparing this episode, they dropped and I was just like, what? That's so odd. Next week, we've got a great show coming up for you. We're going to be talking to the folks from Ballpark Digest. We're going to talk a little baseball stadiums. And those guys, uh, if you're not following them on Twitter, you definitely should check them out. And listen, you guys, school is starting. I'm a teacher. I've started reporting. And and boy, is it is it rough to get back. And just remember that teachers, we love to get gifts at Christmas. We love to get gifts at the end of the year, something to let us know, hey, you know what? We've made an impact. And if you're looking for things to get your teacher at the beginning of the year, remember that, you know, table settings, they always make a good gift and maybe see where they're registered. And let's get to.